They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a cat subscription box surface full of surprises delivered to your door every month. And stay tuned for a special offer for our listeners, courtesy of Meowbox, a little bit later. And with that being said, my name is Chad. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, the man himself, primetime John Paz. John, how are you? I am doing pretty good, but I gotta say, I'm feeling a little feisty right now. Are you now? You feeling a little feisty? That's uh, it's very good, very cute, if you will. Uh, but our guest today, he was also very feisty, and that is now former TNA Impact Wrestling superstar Sam Shaw, and kind of in the same vein as Gunner, uh, a very early interview. Um, outside of the TNA realm for Sam Shaw. And uh, I got to say, he kind of went in the places where I thought Gunner might have gone. Um, but after listening to what he had to say, Samuel Shaw has a hell of a gripe for being let go by TNA wrestling so abruptly and kind of uh, being left out uh, in the middle of nowhere with uh, where they had brought his character over the last year and a half or so. You know what, like, the the release was a bit of a surprise, but with TNA, I mean, is anything really a surprise anymore? They let go of Samoa Joe, they let go of AJ Styles, they let go of Gunner, Magnus is gone, James Storm is gone, and, of course, Samuel Shaw is gone, but it doesn't surprise me anymore with TNA, but it's just weird that they invested, it seemed like, a lot of time on energy into making this unique character, which is almost like we mentioned it in the show, but it's almost like uh, American Psycho's uh, Patrick Bayman with a little bit of um, Dexter Morgan, uh, a little you know mixed in between. He's basically this crazy psychopath, and they invest all his time into it, and he's doing the Christy Kennedy storyline. He's shooting with Ken Anderson, who was a big star, obviously for TNA and uh, even for WWF, or excuse me, to the E. And um, I don't know. It did like he makes some great points about it. They were about it, they're doing interesting stuff, they're making doing different things, and then all of a sudden, boom, nothing. And then he's on TV for a while, and then he gets released. So he really does have a gripe with uh, TNA, and I would too, because um, I don't know if they know what they're doing over there. Yeah, he was very candid, and like I said, it was kind of, uh, I thought Gunner uh, might have been a little bit more candid like uh, Samuel Shaw was, because Gunner, they had uh, invested so much time in. Um, you know, especially even at the end of 2014. But with Sam Shaw, the, that Chrissy Hemi storyline was such a highlighted part of Impact for weeks and weeks at a time. But then it would seemingly either drop off, go away, kind of end. You think it's not coming back, and then it would be right back in the middle of it. And it just kind of made no sense that 
afterwards they just kind of dumped him in that mental institution and then uh you know what what did they really accomplish and that was his main gripe is that they basically box themselves into a corner and as he said fizzle out once they have a good idea and i definitely think um you know for a guy who has basically been in the company on and off since 2008 they just really uh, again and i hate to use the old terminology but they dropped the ball oh no doubt about that they definitely dropped the ball but even going a little bit further with the, the Gunner thing. I mean, they put him in the, the psycho ward. Gunner is supposedly his friend. He visits him. So then he gets, basically he gets taken out of the, the psycho ward with Gunner. So, of course, then he turns on Gunner, and they start a feud. And then the feud has one big match, which was re- actually really good. And um, then it just went nowhere. It was just weird. It was like that was supposed to be the start of the feud. You know, or, you know, they, they were building. There was a big match, and then it was going to keep going. And I'm sure it's you know, more stipulations to the matches or maybe even a cage match or, or you know, something else along the line where Gunner was going to get the, the, you know, the win in the feud. But they had one match, and, like, that was it. They're like, that's the blow-off? You get one match, and you guys were building that up for months? So, I mean, he makes some great points about the writing staff and, like, the, the head of creative and stuff about what was going on over there. It was almost like they would get high on something, and then they would, like, forget it, or, or I mean, they get lost to... It's a strange situation with TNA. I, I just don't understand uh, a lot of what they did creatively. Yeah, it was like you said. Um, you know, basically, you'd see guys coming in. You know, they'd sign new people, they'd, they'd new stars every week. Seemingly, there was another rumored talent to be coming in. And I'm sure uh, if you really go back and look at it, they they signed Samuel Shaw exclusively to an extension or this or that publicly via Twitter. You know, probably like a half dozen times. Um, and then he's uh, just kind of lost in a shuffle. And uh, John Gaburik, who he does reference as being the one who helped get him the American Psycho, uh, Patrick Bateman, Dexter Morgan gimmick, and really festered that you know inner demon, I guess, inside him that he brought out on the air, uh, was the one to break him the news to say, hey, we got too many guys, and I don't want you to get lost in the shuffle, so I'm letting you go. It's like you're letting all these other guys go, so how is a – a younger guy like Sam Shaw, who's got a lot of talent and definitely a lot to offer, and especially with a character that could go very far as a very menacing uh, heel, it, how do you just abruptly let him loose? Strange, strange land down there in TNA, but I guess that's their modus operandi. I mean, I guess that's just the way they've been operating, and you can't take it too personal if you're Sam Shaw, and you just got to know that you're going to get picked up somewhere else because you're – He's got the size, he's got the look, he's got the potential. And like he said, he wants to work on his uh, promo skills a little bit more. But, you know, with that character, I feel like um, I don't know if you really need to be cutting, you know, so many promos because you're you're psycho, you're dark, you're disturbed. It's almost like um, you could do a lot with saying a little. And I think that with his ability and obviously his size and his look, I think he'll be just fine getting picked up by any of the big indie companies out there or any of the, um, even the, you know, maybe uh, Blue Underground, ROH, WWE, NXT, any of the big names too. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you just made me think of it, but, you know, with him talking about promos and uh, them having his character do a lot of promos, I kind of have to relate it somewhat, I guess, to uh, at the same time his character was kind of growing into what it was, what Barry Wyatt was growing into what he was doing, on the WWE side, and I don't know if TNA was looking at possibly uh, creating their own supernatural, 
crazy psychopathic heel that maybe you know James Storm kind of ended up filling that that role but you know with uh Sam Shaw he really should have just been that quiet menacing guy you know he's a big dude he could have done a lot of damage i just feel like uh, again they're trying to copy off uh, an already successful uh, marketing machine and uh, just did not work yeah, a little bit, and I think it was weird of them if they, if you know, if that's really was what they were thinking, because Sam Shaw's character was so different than any other character in wrestling in, in a long time. So I mean, I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like TNA just will write a storyline, then lose track. Like basically, there'll be no end game. It'll just be like they write a storyline, they lose track, it, it fizzles out, it, it doesn't really materialize, and all of a sudden. There's no finish to the feud. There's no end to it, or even uh, some somebody's gimmick. There's no like arc to it. It's just like, you know, it's just flat lines and it's just there. And then they just don't have anything for you. And then they release you. It just seems like uh, that's the way TNA operates. Yeah, and there's no two bigger TNA supporters than uh, John and myself because we've been there since the beginning. We, we've gone to shows forever. You know, they've always had such a talented roster, and it just seems that their creative just is their real, real, real uh, Achilles heel. So uh, I hate to say, uh, you know, anything negative, but it's just unfortunately with a guy like Sam Shaw and a guy like Gunner, um, just uh, getting lost in the shuffle shouldn't happen. But I digress, and before primetime, you give the folks a little two-man power trip of uh, wrestling business, I just want to say that... Today's episode, again, is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, and that is Meowbox. And please visit Meowbox.com. And as I mentioned, uh, they are bringing us a very, very special promo code. PowerTrip10 gets you 10% off your first subscription when you go to Meowbox.com. Again, it's PowerTrip10. You'll get 10% off your first subscription order. And please support Meowbox. It's a great great company i know uh, my tag team partner who uh is a cat lover himself was definitely uh, very happy about meow box yes i was very excited that uh they jumped on board and became a sponsor of ours um well not only do i like meow box but obviously what they do is great because with meow box you get personalized by hand with your cat's name written on the inside of the box all the items are made in either USA or Canada, so you actually know where they're coming from, which is always a plus. Plus, they have a program called One Box Can. Every time you purchase a Meow Box, they donate a can of food to a shelter cat on your behalf, which is just awesome. And if you have a picky cat like mine, uh, my cat Lucy is actually sitting next to me right now, looking at me, wondering what I am doing um, and who I'm talking to, but... That's, uh, I digress, but uh, she has a very special diet, and uh, she only can eat certain things. So with the Meow Box, which is great, you get, you know, like as an option, you can get no edible items, which is pretty cool. They will replace the food and treats with some more toys and surprises, which she loves. So please go to MeowBox.com and enter in the promo code, all capitals, POWERTRIP10, and receive 10% off your first subscription. Again, it's meowbox.com and enter the promo code POWERTRIP10, all capital letters. Now, now to some TMPT business. Please like us on Facebook. 
please subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. We'd love for you to leave a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, don't forget about Twitter, the Twitter machine, at Rathlandpal and at Two Man Power Trip. You can check out some of our awesome new graphics done by Iron Skull Productions. Did a hell of a job. We've got to give a little shout-out to JK. He did a great job. Check out ironskullproductions.com. If you want an awesome, cool new logo like we have, don't forget about our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. On the upper left-hand corner, you will see a Bombas link. Please click on that link and do all your Bombas shopping through us. Now they have all new bright colors. So if you like solids, they got solids. If you like the good old US of A, they have the Americanos. And, of course, like I just mentioned, they got the brights just in. So please go to tmptfwrestling.com. And check out the Bombas link in the upper left-hand corner. Now, without any further ado, we send it to the greatest artist professional wrestling has ever seen. Check out some of his stuff. Also, a man that plays quite a great psychopath. And I really enjoy the character. He's got a ton of potential. He's got a great look. He's got great ability. He's got the size. He's got the wrestling skill. So, folks, please enjoy Samuel Joining us on the line tonight is now former uh, TNA Impact Wrestling superstar, and that is Sam Shaw. Sam, thank you very much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure, and uh, also it's a take two for us because we were scheduled to... uh, taped this interview a few days prior, but you yourself had a very momentous occasion occur, and congratulations on the birth of your child. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Super excited. Awesome. Very cool. And obviously, uh, the pressures of fatherhood uh, are some that in the wrestling business, uh, the one thing and the other thing don't kind of mix, but pressure is is definitely uh, something to play with. Now, you just have parted ways with TNA Wrestling uh, a few weeks back, and uh, we recently spoke with Gunner on his first interview following his uh, release. Uh, were you surprised by your release? And uh, the two of you were kind of tied together towards the end of your run there. I wasn't too surprised, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I had been sort of on the shelf, just not really doing anything for quite some time. And I was very, very, just extremely ready to get back on TV and just busting my ass in the gym, just, you know, being a student of the game and pitching ideas like crazy and just doing everything I can to get myself in front of the right people and get back on TV. Uh, But things just didn't pan out the way that I thought they might. I'm not heartbroken over it whatsoever. I'm very excited about the future, and I think there's lots of great opportunities out there right now for someone like myself. Yes, 100% agree. There's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity out there uh, compared to past years uh, in the wrestling business. But TNA Impact is definitely a, a a beast unto itself in the wrestling industry. 
And in the past year, there's definitely been some definite conversations of what the fate was, switching networks. Is there a buyer? Billy Corgan uh, coming into the creative team. But what does that do to somebody like yourself backstage and looking at your own fate and what they're going to do with you? Does that kind of – does it give you any questions as to uh, where their priorities are going to lie with so many changes in front of them? To be perfectly honest, I just feel like uh, TNA just – in a sense, they have an identity crisis. And since I was signed there in 2012, and I've been doing stuff with them since, you know, 2008, I would say, because I was, I trained at Bubba and Devon School in Kissimmee, Florida, which, you know, TNA is basically their backyard uh, at Universal Studios, like the impact zone. Um, I've, I've just seen the place change so much. And it seems like they have a lot of momentum going into, you know, a new regime change. And then it just sort of fizzles out or they just, you know, not so much drop the ball, but they really know how to start something that looks like it has some longevity and it's going to be great. But then it just seems like they don't know where to go from from that point, you know. They, They just... They get to a high point, and then it's just like it just sort of fizzles out, I guess, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. And your definite uh, – your storyline with Christy Hemme uh, lasted quite a long time and seemingly uh, felt like it could take a break. You know, it would come back a few weeks later, and it was uh, back on, and it was off. And then it just seemed like there was no rhyme or reason as to when they were going to start and stop certain things. But – as a performer, is that frustrating to you to, uh, you know, kind of not know what the direction your story is going to go in? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I was just pitching ideas left and right, and I I feel that maybe maybe coming in and having such a strong presence, uh, you know, with the character that I was portraying, it it may have put me up against the wall in a creative sense. Because, you know, I was known as the creepy bastard. I was the, this creepy guy that, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to just creep on all the knockouts now or move on to the next one? Because that's basically what a psycho does. He just repeats the same thing over and over again. And, um, but I, I just feel like there, there could have been so many different directions the character could have gone. And uh, I feel like there's so much longevity to the character and in a lot of ways, I, I think the writers did too. I think that's why they kept me around for so long. They just didn't have anything at the, at the moment. And they kept signing new guys and new talent was coming in. And, you know, they're just ready to move forward with other guys. And I'm sort of sitting at home, not doing anything, but ready, willing, and able to do something. <laughs> Now, when they actually went about releasing you, how did they go about it? I mean, is it like the old uh, WCW thing where you're getting a, a FedEx in the mail? Or, 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 you know, how does that exactly work? Well, I got a call from John Gaborik, big, as everybody calls him, and we had a nice conversation. And, you know, he was responsible for really sort of getting this, this character 
for me off the ground, and he had a lot of faith in me to to run with a character like that. And I give him a lot of credit for for that. And we had a nice conversation. He he called me and just told me that, you know, in all honesty, we have two hours of TV, you know, a week, and we have so much talent on the roster. And I, he actually said that he felt bad just keeping me off TV. Like he wants to give me the the freedom to go out there and use my talents. So, in a sense, I I felt like that was, you know, very a very nice thing of him to do. But then, of course, yeah. that followed with the FedEx. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And with TNA, there always seems to be a lot of rumors about uh, pay not being uh, allocated properly or not maybe even being uh, sent out at all and rumors of its demise. Did you ever get, like, um, let's say, late pay, or, or are you privy to all these rumors about how TNA is going to be dead soon and all this other stuff? I never put all my eggs in one basket, so I always had other little things going on. I didn't really pay attention to when my checks got to me. Um, I was just staying busy and not trying to worry myself to death over little things like that. Um, but I, I never, there was never a, a case where I did, did not get paid. If that makes sense. If that answers your question. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't think my check was ever very late whatsoever. And like I said, they've never not paid me. So I got paid very well when I signed a new deal with them last year. And, you know, it's allowed me to, to move forward in my professional life quite a bit. So I appreciate them for that. <laughs> yep. I see that. Now with, if I can get into the character a little bit now, when, when they pitched it to you, I feel like, you know, it's, it's part um, Patrick Bateman from American psycho and part almost uh, Dexter Morgan from the great show Dexter. When they pitched that idea to you, was that you pitching that to them or were they pitching the idea to you, you know, you're going to be this psychopath. Well, Big approached me about doing somewhat of an American Psycho-esque uh, gimmick, and I was very, very receptive to that because that is one of my favorite movies of all time, directed by Mary Heron. Christian Bale was phenomenal in the movie, and it was, it, you know, as luck would have it, that was just a movie that I, for some reason, gravitated towards for years, and I would always pull the DVD out and, and take a look at it, you know, a couple times a year at least. And if it was on Netflix, I might watch it again. Or It was it was something that, like I said, I gravitated towards, and I, I really studied the, the character that Christian Bale portrayed, the Patrick Bateman, uh, his mannerisms, his, the way he walked, um, the way he talked, the cadence everything it, it was very interesting to me and then when big approached me with the idea of that it was like music to my ears it was just like please i you don't have to say anything else like let's let's get this ball rolling now because this is something that i can, i really have a grasp on and you know not, not to mention the dexter element that's another just tremendous tv show that i've just enjoyed immensely and sort of taking elements from both of those uh the movie and the tv show 
putting it in a wrestling related environment was going to be a challenge, but I think I think it had a, a pretty big impact initially. And I like I said, I think that there was so much more that we could have done with this character and to be honest with you, I don't I don't feel like I'm done with this character. I I really feel like I my creative juices are are flowing now more than ever before to possibly do this in another environment. I could see that. And and like you said, it almost was like uh the character was there but it almost stagnated a little bit because of the writing, but obviously you could have took it into a a million different directions. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, like I said, I, I just think that when you have two hours of, of TV, you know, a week, you're producing one two-hour show a week, and you have so much good talent on the show, and, you know, sort of one, one angle closes, it's on to the next one. It's, you know, it, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a gear in the, the engine that just keeps going and going. And, you know, I, I, by this point, I've been doing this almost 10 years now. I, I sort of see how everything works and there's no hard feelings that I'm sitting at home and nobody owes me, nobody owes me a living. I pretty much was taught that, and I agree with this, but I, I think that we owe everything to the business itself. It doesn't owe you a single thing. You know, if you really want to be a success in this business, you can't cry when the other guy gets more TV time. You just need to, you know, think of a way to um, be better and come back stronger and and uh, thrive in that environment or thrive in a, in a different environment, you know? Yeah, definitely well said. Now, one of the, um, the storylines, obviously, we kind of briefly touched on it was uh, with Christy Hemme, you were basically, you know, stalking her. And if, to be honest, if that's one person you want to stalk, I mean, that's not a bad target. Um, <laughs> she's, yeah, good looking, uh, good looking woman there. But did you enjoy that, that angle? Cause it almost seemed at times um, they were going a little cartoony with it, but then it would get crazy. Like, did you enjoy doing that angle? I absolutely loved it and thought it was something unique and fresh and so much more character driven. I think you really, you know, it was a very slow, slow burn, very slow start. And then, you know, a crazy climactic end, uh, with the whole Christy Hemi situation. And, um, I, I loved it because I've always had an interest in, in acting and things like that. And I went to art school and had a lot of, um, uh, some of my best friends are all out in Los Angeles now and they work in film and television and we made a lot of uh, movies in college and they were always, you know, trying to involve me as much as possible. And I think that that really helped a lot with the transition into, you know, a lot of the backstage elements of professional wrestling. Um, I enjoyed it immensely and I think that it got me a lot more comfortable with promos and things like that, which I, which I'll admit are not my strong point. And I think that the more you do stuff like that, like the better you're going to get. So I have no complaints whatsoever. 
Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely something different, and your character was something different. Something we haven't seen in a long time in wrestling, where you know the character is it's so far out there. You know, it's almost like that unpredictable fact. You don't know what the character is going to do next. And then you had a big feud with Ken Anderson. What was it like working with uh, Mr. Anderson? When they told me I was going to work with Ken Anderson, like he was going to sort of be this hero to to save the damsel in distress, I was super excited because this is this is a guy that's looked at in the locker room as a you know a veteran, a leader, uh, somebody that has a lot of experience, you know, around around the world and in different promotions and. Uh, the opportunity to work with Ken and just pick his brain. And, you know, we traveled up and down the road together in, in 2014. And I learned so much from him and just how to sort of slow everything down in the ring. And when you think you're, you know, when you think you're going slow, go slower. <laughs> was something that we always talked about. And, you know, watching tape and, and things like that, like, it was a big jump for me to go from somebody that just sort of relied on a lot of my wrestling and athletic ability to just tone it down and not have much of a move set or arsenal, um, which seems to be sort of where everybody is is going with their character or, you know, dare I say, lack thereof uh, these days. It just it seems like everybody's worried about the moves and I've always gravitated towards professional wrestling in the character sense. The reason I I wanted to be a wrestler was because of the colorful characters like ultimate warrior, Rick rude, you know, undertaker, things like that. That's what gravitated me towards wrestling. And Ken is somebody that really just, you know, punched that into my, into my brain over and over again. Like you don't need to do, all this stuff, you can save your body, you can use your facial expressions, you know, use your, your walk, your mannerisms, you know, nobody really remembers anything except the finish anyway. (laughs) I feel like a lot of uh, wrestling today is like you said, it was like move, 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 but not a lot of selling and they're kind of just going to the next spot. Whereas, uh, like you said, and and like Mr. Anderson said, it was very smart to slow it down sell the move more, you know, make it more character-driven, make it more believable. Absolutely. And, look, I'm not not against having a a great spot-filled match, but just make it – make everything mean something. And I like to do some of the high-risk stuff, but only when it's it's really going to make the the big difference in, in the match quality. And, what, you know, one of the reasons I had a very simple finishing maneuver, which was just a, a front-face chokeout, a katagatami that was sort of given to me by Taz, um, it, it wasn't really anything spectacular to look at. You know, the, the crowd's not going to go, wow, that was awesome, you know. And that's, that's as a heel, I feel like that's what I wanted. I didn't want anybody to to cheer for my finishing move because that, that that's going to mean that they're going to cheer for me in the long run. They're going to be trained to eventually cheer for me because they like my finishing move. So just little things like that, I think are, are lacking in the business today. 
Yeah, great, uh, great psychology. And uh, obviously, if, if uh, people know uh, their submissions, they'll know that if they ever get put in one of those, it's not pretty. Uh, it's hard, hard to get out of, and you absolutely, it's a legit shoot. You know, MMA move. It's it's you know very very hard to get out of, and even in this make believe world of professional wrestling, like I probably have squeezed on that hold a little too hard on somebody and been told, all right, lighten up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Now, another guy, uh, obviously we mentioned before, but that's Gunner that you had a big feud with, and what he said was that he felt TNA dropped the ball in that feud. You guys basically had one big blow-off match. It was a good match on, on Impact, but he felt like you guys both could have done so much more, not even separated, but with each other. He felt you guys could have done so much more with that feud. Because they really built it up where you guys were friends and then your enemies and then it's the big blow-off. And you guys, I mean, you, you know, you're having like a real big feud and then nothing. What were your thoughts on that? Me, myself and Gunner, we weren't sure. We weren't getting the answers um, that we thought, you know, that maybe we should have from the writing team, from the office, what have you. Um, we had that this really great match in Bethlehem PA and we weren't sure if the feud was going to go any further than that. And we had a little hiatus there when we were jumping from, from networks and our, our goal going into that match in Bethlehem was to just make the writing team and management just say, okay, we have to do more with these guys because we wanted we wanted to do a series of these matches. We wanted to show that we could be, you know, main event caliber. We were willing to do, you know, take risks and um, have a crazy match. And we wanted to do this in the UK. We and we thought that there was a possibility that that could happen. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that you know, Gunner's Gunner's correct. I think that they they may have dropped the ball on us doing some even more fantastic things. Uh, we, we, we didn't hold back on that match in Bethlehem PA, but we definitely had talked about doing a lot more stuff in the future. And I, I really wish that people, the fans could, could see some of these ideas, you know, work out on a national stage and, you know, hell it might happen somewhere down the line, but hope yeah, that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and hopefully you can continue on with that character. But another uh, interesting part that I, that I didn't mention was uh, Brittany. They also put with you for a little bit, which added a little bit of an extra, uh, you know, flavor to you as well, uh, Santana Garrett. Did you enjoy uh, working with her as well? I enjoyed it immensely. She's a... Uh... She's a great girl, and I've known her for years um, just working the Florida independent scene. Um, I, I've known her at least, you know, probably since 2008, just running into her here and there on independent shows uh, throughout Florida. And um, it wasn't really a hard, you know, transition for us to, uh, at least on my end, 
I didn't think that it was it was hard to work with her whatsoever. I think that we had some chemistry, and I think that it was uh, it came off really good. And I I think uh, I think that it angered some fans some of the things that we did, and and that was the goal, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was a cool little um, a little pairing that they had, but again, <clears throat> you know, typical with the TNA writing staff at times, they just uh, start something up, blow it up, and then just kind of let it fizzle out. It's just, it's almost a uh, strange company in that aspect where almost there's no end game. Do you think that when they're writing, they, they do get lost in, in a sense and that there's no end game? I I don't know how to, how to best answer that question, except that I think that, you know, they have a very small writing team and, and these guys like, they have to bust their ass um, to come up with lots of good material for lots of great talent. And I, I think that everybody, every every famous writer has had write, writer's block or things like that. And I'm not equating it to that, but I'm just saying that you're going to have some great ideas for some guys and you're going to be stuck uh, with some other guys and gals. And, um, yeah, I, I guess that's like I said. I just feel like they they really can they get really pumped about something that's new and fresh and sort of the flavor of of the day, flavor of the month, and then it sort of fizzles out when the next big thing is is headed over to TNA. You know what I mean? Yes, without a doubt. Now, one interesting thing that, if I can rewind a little bit um, with your TNA run. And we were actually, uh, me and Chad were talking about it uh, before the show, and uh, that was kind of how you debuted, in a sense, with uh, TNA. Um, almost not really a debut, because you were there, here and there before, but you were almost like an old ECW character that would happen in the 90s. They basically said you were lupus, and that you, you were interfered in a Raven and Dreamer match. Did you enjoy, um, you know, that aspect of, like... Um, almost being like this old character that they're almost trying to weave into a, a, a you know, a, a new storyline, but with an old school twist to it. <laughs> that was just one of the most fun things that I've ever done. And I, I didn't care what, you know, the idea behind bringing lupus back was, I didn't, I didn't care if it was just a, you know, to pop some of the, some of the boys. And I know that, you know, Dreamer, see, Tommy Dreamer seemed to be adamant about having Lucas involved in that match. Um, I remember getting, I was at Team 3D Academy and, and Bubba Ray called me into his office and he just told me, you're going to be on the Hardcore Justice pay-per-view. And I'm just like, you know, just looking for a break any way I can. And to hear that come from your, your trainer that he has enough faith in you to, to be put in a spot like that was just music to my ears and whatever he wanted me to do, like I was going to do it, you know, and, and have a smile on my face as much as possible. But then he told me I was going to be lupus and I was going to do a giant leg drop off the top rope, which is one of my, one of my favorite high risk maneuvers uh, of all time. And I, I was just like, whatever you want, 
you know, I'm ready to do this. And, and it was, it was just a very fun thing to do. Very cool to be there with all those ECW veterans and uh, to be involved in that match. And Mick Foley, you know, I think he had the barbed wire Sako that he proceeded to put down my throat. And uh, I think that was, that was kind of a cool, cool little deal for me. I was on cloud nine for sure. And then also in your TNA career, you did uh, win gut check, your former gut check winner. Does that mean anything to you? Or, or is that just basically, you know, um, just a part of, of a gimmick of a way to get you into the company? As as far as the character that I was sort of portraying or? Yeah, like, do you think that that adds anything to the character or do you think just like, oh, I want gut check? You know what I mean? Like, does it mean anything to you per se as far as building your character? Well, I, I think that gut check was one of those things, like, we, we were talking about how the writers are high on, a, on an idea and they don't exactly know maybe what, how it's going to end. But it sounds good on paper, and it might, you know, have some leverage on TV. And and let's. I thought it was a cool concept because it's giving guys that you know may have never gotten an opportunity otherwise. Um, do I think I would have I would have gotten opportunities down the line, even without you know gut check? Sure, but when they called me to participate in it I was I was all for it like I think they had said yes to like the past three gut check contestants I think they were sort of ready for a a no and this is just my personal opinion and I don't know if this is true or not but I think they were ready for a guy to come in and they the judges can just say no because this guy didn't perform at a level that is, you know, that's that's ready for a TNA uh, environment to be TV ready. And I think that they brought me in thinking that, okay, let's see if this guy can sink or, or swim and let's put him under the lights and the, the cameras and in front of a crowd and let's put him with Doug Williams and see what he can do. And I think half of management just thought, okay, this is just a guy we're going to say no to. That'll be good TV because we've said yes three times. Now we need to know, you know, make this thing look really legit. And I took that as like, okay, that's a challenge. And I love, you know, you said at the beginning of this, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure in the wrestling business and pressure makes diamonds is something that I've always sort of kept in the back of my mm-hmm. mind. Hmm. And I I was damn sure going to go out there and make them remember me. No no doubt. So and I think that I I performed well and I surprised a lot of people and I had a lot of heart and and passion and it was evident. And I think that's why they said yes. And I remember even Eric Bischoff was was in the back and he was just I think he he sort of told me like you know when it was all said and done and I had won the contract he was he was it was like, honestly, you know, last week it was, it was going to be a no, but you went out there and killed it, you know. So how can we, how can we say no to that, you know? Hmm. That's uh, that's fantastic, and that's quite a uh, 
quite a compliment coming from Eric Bischoff, who, while he was involved with TNA, was definitely a, a lightning rod and a, a definite source of uh, constant uh, wrestling media attention. But uh, how was Eric Bischoff uh, to work with? In all, in all honesty, like, I didn't have much um, time ar- around him, per se. I, you know, I, I came in and did gut check, and then I was used for about six, seven weeks as a guy under a mask in the Aces and Eights group before I was shipped off to Louisville, Kentucky to OVW for about a year. So I, I really didn't get any one-on-one time with, with Eric Bischoff. I I know Garrett Bischoff very well, and, you know, he's a cool dude, but didn't really have much. Uh, Eric was always cool to me. He was always very cordial and, and nice, and, you know, I have nothing bad to say about him. Wish I could have worked with him more. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that Aces and Eights chapter of uh, TNA seemingly did go on for quite a long time. And uh, you being under the mask for for a couple of weeks, do you think that that story had legs, or do you think it was uh, kind of driven a little too uh, too far that they couldn't come back? Personally, I just think it like he's just what you said. I I just feel like it it sort of ran its course and. They weren't really coming up with with a whole lot in the the final weeks, you know, final months of the Aces and Eights storyline. Um, just sort of fizzled out, you know. Totally, totally did. But now let's let's talk quickly about creativity, and uh, you know, you're a very very accomplished uh, artist, and you've uh, you've done some great work with uh, pro wrestling tees and. You know, what would you say would be your first love? Would it be, you know, your creativity, your, you know, being an artist, or was it professional wrestling, and what drove you to both? Well, I think from a very young age, it was it was watching, I was watching superheroes on TV, and, you know, my superheroes were, you know, the the regular Superman, Batman, but then, you know, Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior, those guys, and then those shows were, when they were over, it's like, I want more. Like, mom would give me some crayons and paper, and I'd start doodling, you know, what I thought Hulk Hogan looked like and progressed as the years went on. And, you know, I always had art, always had the the ability to, to sort of see things and, and translate it onto paper but even from a young age, I sort of knew that I wanted to do some of these things that I was seeing on TV, you know, be a pro- professional wrestler. From a young age, I was trying to figure out how to go about it. And I think the conclusion I came to, you know, in my 20s was just that wrestling and, and drawing something creative, it, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, because you have a blank piece of paper, you have a blank canvas, and you're supposed to go out there and, and paint a picture or draw a picture that people can look at that and, and they get the story, if that makes sense. Totally. I think totally does. Wrestling and drawing is the same form of art to me. And then when you decided to become a wrestler, 
who did you seek out and uh, where did you train? I initially started in Atlanta, Georgia at WWA4 with Mr. Hughes and went up and down the road with him doing a lot of independence, went to Memphis, Tennessee every other weekend and did some stuff with Jerry Lawler and Corey Macklin, Memphis Wrestling, and really got a lot of windshield time, per se, with with Mr. Hughes and heard some stories. And um, after about a year, I, I just figured I needed I needed more. So I decided to move to Kissimmee, Florida, and I went to Team 3D Academy and trained under Bubba and Devon. And I was there for four years, if not a little more, and I still pop in every now and then. I haven't been in a while, and I've I've really been wanting to. Uh, they they're just incredible minds in the pro wrestling world, and they are really teaching guys the the right way to get yourself into this line of work. And I feel like they, I feel like I was sort of a guy that came in just thinking that I I was already pretty good. But I feel like I look back now and I I so wasn't ready. And I really needed these guys to, you know, slap me upside the head and say, hey, you need need more training. You need more discipline. You need to make some mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes there. And I got, you know, in some serious trouble with those guys. But it, it always taught me a lesson and just being in, in that environment just made me ready for any sort of environment you you put in front of me. Like, you know, a lot of guys get nervous and to go to a tryout, let's say at WWE or be in front of a Vince McMahon or a Dixie Carter and things like that. But just being in front of Bubba and Devon day in and day out, like to me, this is like the greatest tag team ever. And here they are like, passing knowledge on to me and you know they're very intimidating guys and you've been a fan your whole life and you're around these guys like even all that much more intimidating but it's like if you can gain their respect and be comfortable in that environment with those guys to me it's like I can be comfortable anywhere you know so was it the uh, the tough love that Bubba and Devon were able to uh, give you that kind of maybe filled in the uh, the spots and the gaps that uh, Mr. Hughes might have left? Was there a difference between the two in how they both went about their approach? I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Um, as far as, like, big differences, I think that Mr. Hughes was great at teaching the fundamentals and and – he he had more of an approach like okay you know how to do the moves let's let's get dressed in separate locker rooms and then let's let's meet in the ring and have a match you know and I I needed that and I think that was a really great way to learn and how a lot of the guys back in the day did it and I'm very grateful for that aspect of my training but coming down to Team 3D Academy and you know being around Bubba and Devon who have had some of the you know greatest matches I've ever seen in, in, you know, WWE and in TNA and around the world. Um, 
these guys really have the art form, the psychology of professional wrestling down, and they want you to understand why you're doing this or that in the ring. And that's what I was missing wholeheartedly, you know. And not just that, I was, I was, I needed some, <laughs> I needed some tough love in my life. Let's just put it that way. Like, you know, you have to be respectful in this business. And some of the things that guys get away with these days is, is just like, oh my God, you know, like, Bubba and Devon, you would not make it. <laughs> you would not make it if you came in here with that, you know? Oh, yeah. They're definitely uh, definitely known for being uh, pretty tough, for uh, for sure. But uh, as we uh, hit the wind down here, just always like to ask, um, you know, all, all the wrestlers that we have on. Obviously, you've been in the ring with a lot of uh, big names. I mean, uh, you wrestled Steve Carino, the current ROH champion Jay Lethal, Tom Coates, and Bodie. You've been in the ring with the Briscoes. You even wrestled Glacier. I found that out. So do you have a favorite match or matches that you've had throughout your career? Hmm. It's a good question. I honestly, there's a lot of matches that people never got to see, you know, the, at least the masses never got to see some of the TNA house shows that we did in 2014. Not many people know that, you know, we were out pretty much three days, you know, a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on house shows and I was having matches with the wolves. I was having matches with, you know, obviously Ken Anderson and Kenny King and, um, some of the one night only pay-per-views. I actually got to wrestle Bubba, which was like, well, that was something that I got to mark off on my, my checklist, you know, cause I, I'd always say things, to Bubba at the school, like, I can't wait to wrestle you one day, you know, things like that, just to, because I knew how he was going to sort of answer that, just knowing his, his attitude, but he'd always say things like, that'll never happen, you'll never, you'll never get there, but that just motivated me more and more, you know, but Mm -hmm. still, a, a match with him is just like, I just remember being out there and just having the time of my life, you know, and he's a tough, intimidating guy, but just to be in the ring with him and, and be a professional with him and all the guidance that he had given me, like that, that was just a very special thing for me. And like I said, the house shows that we did with TNA and matches that people never got to see, like we had some really, really awesome matches that I wish, I, I wish that we could be on a, a TV platform with some of the things that we did. Now, you mentioned uh, having a somewhat of a dream match uh, against Bully Ray or Bubba. Is there anybody in particular where you can say there's a dream match that you really want to have in your career or, or there's a spot that you want to be in in your career, basically a big goal of yours or you know perhaps a dream match that you want to see yourself in someday? I look at what what's going on right now, and I just, I just say, what does everybody want to see? Everybody wants to see Brock Lesnar. So I should be striving, you know, even if it, if it never happens. But, you know, I, I want to main event with Brock Lesnar because I I want to be that, that reason that people buy a ticket and want to tune in. 
you know, Brock Lesnar or John Cena, those are the top guys. That's who I want to be in there with. Do you think that you want to be in WWE, or you think it's a goal of yours to be in WWE? I think if you're, you know, trying to get into this line of work, and you're, if you're not trying to get there, like you're, you're just you're in the long you're in the wrong line of work, you know. So absolutely, I, you know, I would welcome the opportunity to do business with them. And you know, there's there's a there's a lot of. I mean, we we are seriously in the beginning stages, if not already there, of a wrestling boom period. I think you've probably heard that from a lot of top names in the business that it is it's coming, and it's in a lot of ways I feel like it's already here. Like look at look at how much wrestling programming is is on TV right now, and Wednesday nights, for instance, it's just insane. And there's a lot of cool new innovative ways that companies are presenting their products and to say that I I don't have interest in any of those companies would be a lie. So yeah, there's definitely there's a, a definitely a different way to make a living these days than there were 5 years ago. But let's look 5 years down the road and where does Sam Shaw see himself in the pro wrestling business? Making a solid living in the professional wrestling business. I I always shoot for for small goals, and eventually they, you know, I, I've pretty much accomplished every small goal that I've set, you know, before myself, and I think I should keep following that that way. And I, I have some goals that I that I want to attain, and. Do I want to get to the grand stage, the the big, the biggest stage of them all? Sure. Do I see that happening in five years? Maybe. All I can do is is continue to progress and get better, and hopefully not piss anybody off in the process. And my goals are are to be somebody that's that's remembered in this business. So. If that answers your question. <laughs> it answers it totally. This has been a lot of fun. Very informative, but please give us some information on where the fine listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling can find Samuel Shaw. Instagram and Twitter, those are the main ones, at the Samuel Shaw. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Sam, again, congratulations uh, You know, on becoming a father. It's Quite a momentous feeling. John is uh, about Thank to. Uh, John's about to have that feeling in a few weeks himself. I myself have a four-year-old, so uh, it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> it's amazing. It's I like. I can't even. I can't even tell you how awesome it is to be to be in this position right now. To be a father. To have a little guy that's gonna have to that you're going to have to protect and and teach and train and make sure that he does the best he can through this in this crazy world. So it's amazing and I couldn't be happier. Awesome. Well, listen man, if we can do